Welcome to our weekly, I mean, weekly Wednesday night shear. This week's Pasha, Pasha's Vo'era, second Pasha of the Chum Shemais, the book of Exodus. You're there, right? Okay. Tonight is Chov Dalid Teves, the outside of the Alter Rebbe. The first Lubavitcher Rebbe. As we know, and we've spoken many times of the Klal Godel, Vo'eda is Vov Aleph Rej. Vov Aleph Rej Aleph. Vov and Aleph are Gematria 7. Vov is 6. Aleph is 1. Telling us that there are 7 Makis, 7 plagues. Sorry, mentioned in this week's parsha. In parsha's boy, boy is base aleph, which is three. There are the remaining three plagues that took place in Egypt. So, as we've done in the past few weeks, Sigzunt, we've dedicated this year. Lilanishmas Arambara Khalevi Ben Yuda and I believe it's Beatrice, but I'm not sure Ben Basara. Just to be sure. Sorry, Emilia Basara. May the Shamans have the right place in Ganadin. May they be proper Malitzim for their family as they're now over two weeks since their passing. Um, You're shaking the table, and it's recording a video in in this <laughs> mode. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Meisha is perplexed. Meisha is perplexed beyond perplexities. In that, Hashem sends him on a mission. And the truth to be told Shem sends you on a mission Cheda Shem is behind you Not the Cheda, definitely How can we say differently? Shem sends on a mission Hashem is there behind us As is everything that happens in this world It's from Hashem there is nothing that's not from Hashem. There is no step of a foot, no breath of a lung, no raise of a finger of a hand that is not from Hashem. And therefore, as Maminim and B'nai Maminim, believers, the children of believers, we need to understand and believe that it's from Hashem and therefore there is only good behind it. Many a times we have a hard time understanding how that works. I've told the story before. I don't usually like to start with a story, but 
Shaya told the story later. We, but I wanted to tell instead. It's a different type of story. Also, that we've been told many times. Um, Moshe comes to Mitzrayim. Shem says, go, talk to Pari, to let the Eden go. Please stop. As you're texting, you're banging the table. I beg you. Go to Mitzrayim, talk to Pari, to let the Jews go. Now technically, please remember that Moshe was not in the servitude of Egypt. He was not amongst the people that were slaves in Egypt. Hence, coming now and seeing the tortures that the Jews are being subjected to was quite harsh. He saw a little bit of it before leaving Egypt. But now at this point in time, the persecution that was going on was a bit of pill to swallow. And he figured Hashem is now giving the notification that they're going to leave Egypt. As soon as he mentions it, the salvation will begin. Life will get easier. Much to his chagrin, Parai clamps down on the Jews instead. tell a story of the couple of ignoramuses that were going to prepare for the holiday of Passover. And preparing for the holiday, Passover, everybody knows it's a thing. You need to prepare for the holiday. Not everybody knows what's involved. They know that they heard always from the Baba, from the Zayda, from the mother, from the grandmother. We've got to get ready for Passover. A running joke in most families was Passover finishes, we put away the dishes, and they take out some chametz, and immediately the mother screams, careful, it's almost Pesach. The woman is concerned about Pesach all year long. After Hanukkah, max. They're already cleaning for Pesach. The mere mention of Purim, unfortunately, has become so marred with the fact that Purim is 30 days to Pesach. And the women are already starting to get antsy. So this couple, as I said, not learned people, not well versed in the laws of different things in the Torah, knew they needed to prepare for Passover, but what to do? So the wife says, I'm not going to embarrass myself. What Yiddish Bible doesn't know? What Yiddish Mama doesn't know how to make Pesach? So I can't go ask the neighbors how to make Pesach because it's so embarrassing. What? You don't know? So, you, my dear husband, be so kind. Go next door and tell them uh, my wife's not home. And I want to make her a surprise. I want to prepare the Pesach. I want to prepare for Pesach. I'll be home in an hour. <laughs> Please, just tell me what i got to do. So I'll be taken care of when she gets home. No. The wife pleaded and begged enough. And her husband acquiesced. And he goes next door. 
and he's about to knock on the door, and he gets this little tinge in his stomach. <coughs> Excuse me, the butterflies. He says, "You know what? Let me go look through the window. I'm sure they're working on it now. I'm sure they're doing it hands on." I'll observe for a few minutes. I'll see how it's done. I'll go home. Tell my wife. Foolproof. Goes to the window. And he's quite shocked. Standing by the window, he sees the woman of the house with a broom. Every woman has the broom. But she's not using it to sweep the floor. She's using it to beat her husband. She's beating him, berating him, and calling him all different types of names, and banging on him. He says, Give out. This is preparations for Pesach. I'm not. In, I'm not. In, I didn't park my car. There's no way I parked my. I'm not interested. Sign me out. Anyway, he comes home, totally dejected, He's shuffling one foot to the next. So he says, "New. No. What did they tell you?" He starts humming and hoeing and humming and. We gotta get moving. Please tell me what they said. Well, you have to understand. To know. She starts getting a little agitated. What are you playing games here? Pesach's next week. We need to start working. Uh, uh, oh, uh. She starts getting really angry. And she says, if you don't tell me what's going on, I don't know. I, I'm going to lose it with you. You must talk to me. You must tell me. Finally, he's on the verge of tears because <laughs> he knows what's next, Nebuch. And lo and behold, she takes the broom and she starts beating him. Tell me what they told you. Tell me how to prepare. And he's sitting on the on his knees already, and she's beating on him with a broom and calling him all different names. And he says to her, "But Sara, he says, you knew already how to do it. Why did you send me to ask?" Pari, the Abishta said, "Let my people go." So your reaction is to oppress even more. Your reaction to this is to hurt and to do even more damage? Who do you think you are? But the truth to be told, find a very interesting study in the beginning of the Pasha. The concept of Kal V'chaymeh. A simpler and a stricter law. And we learn an application. If this law applies for a more lenient law, how much more so does it apply on a more stringent situation? If you can't ah, let's try to get an example here. If you can't light a fire on Yumtiv for no reason. How much more so on Shabbos you can't light?
where for Shabbos you can't even light for cooking. For Yom Tov at least you could light for cooking. You're allowed to cook on Yom Tov. If you need it for Yom Tov. On Shabbos you can't. So if you cannot do something on Yom Tov, Shabbos surely not. This would be called, as Rabbi Shmuel, in the Mishnah learns out the 13 principles. This is called the Kal V'chaymer. And the first Kal V'chaymer we find in the Teda, says Rashi, Hein b'nei Yisrael le'shamu elai, eich yishmei nefarei v'ani aral s'fasayim. Hein b'nei Yisrael, says Moshe, the Jews, <coughs> who are oppressed, suffering, and I tell them we're going to leave Egypt. Le'ishamu elai, and are listening to me, eich yishmei nefarei, how do you expect Pari to listen to me? Pari wants them here as slaves. The question becomes, <coughs> grammatically placing the phrases. Moshe is saying, I don't speak clearly. If I don't speak clearly, therefore, um, therefore, and Eichish Menifari. The truth is that the Kalvachemer should go the other way around. Not the Kalvachemer go around, excuse me. It should be. The pasuk should be grammatically placed the other way around. Ani aral sfasayim, Moshe saying, I don't speak clearly, and therefore, hebnei Yisrael eshamuelai. In that case, eichish meini fari, and the kalvo chayma fits. So why then does it say hebnei Yisrael eshamuelai eichish meini fari, and then ani aral sfasayim? I've said this many times actually. But it's a beautiful word, and it's always worth repeating. Meishas Kalvachema works as follows. So if you could bring me a cup, please, so you drink some water. Hain, they, B'nai Yisrael, the Jews, Leisham Mo'elai. They are not listening. They don't want to leave. They said, Moshe, please stop. Thank you. Please stop being foolish. We have houses here. We have routines. We have our family. We have our children. It's a bit difficult, but Difficult, but who knows where on the other side of the mountain? Who said the grass is greener? So, when they saw, I'm not ready to leave. Eich asks Moshe Rabbeinu, what will happen? I'll go to Pare, and Pare will say, take them, go ahead, let them leave. And I got nobody following me my lips will be sealed and this therefore is how Moshe Rabbeinu meets the first trial meets with the first issue of dealing with Pari and his shenanigans. However, however,
Hashem sends Moshe with on a mission. There's someone at the door and I guess I'm going to have to stand up a moment, excuse me. I'm not pausing it because it just sends everything off the charts. sorry. This is going to be a real winner to explain how this happened in the middle of the year. He tells him, go inside and you have different signs, different things I want you to show, Pari. <coughs> but the bottom line, I want to just leave. <coughs> Bottom line, the Jews are going to go out of Egypt. The Jews will leave Egypt, but to Egypt there will be a cost. But more importantly than the cost, the Yodum Mitzrayim Kiani Hashem. It was important for Hashem that the Egyptians know who Hashem is. This was a question that was floating around between the Egyptians, the Jews even. Shmi Hashem lohem. My name Hashem is not known. Hashem did not like this. So when we see the plagues that were brought upon the Egyptians, the clear-cut explanation, the clear-cut justification for the plagues was to convince the Egyptians to let the Jews go. The infliction was also meant in another way to punish the Egyptians for all they had done over the years. But most importantly, said Hashem. I want them to know that I am God. As the Egyptians and Pari, mainly, Le'aminu Bashem. They said, who is this God that you're making reference to? And all these plagues brought this to their attention. You locked the door. Yitzchak Barbanel explains on the Torah Pari was in denial besides the actual river he was in denial of God and, and his Ashkach Pratis, his capacity to make to perform sin to perform miracles oh. They are higher than nature. These makas, why is it so dirty? These makas, these plagues, broke this heretics, this being a heretics, heretics. 
And they were divided in three different messages, in three different missions. The first three makas show that there is a creator. The second three makas taught divine providence. And finally, the third three makas proved that there were miracles that Hashem can do above nature. When we delve into, though, the different plagues brought upon the Egyptians, we come up with another concept. Yet another concept. And that is to let them know the greatness of the Jews. How they are the nation of God. As and the Jews amongst themselves should also know that God is the God. So the miracle, these all these plagues also were there to teach the Jews in their own right a lesson, to teach to forge the connection of the Jews with God. And Rashi says just that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu The Almighty brings these punishments on the nations. Kedesh Yishmu Yisrael So the Jews should hear and they should see. If not for the previous to punish the Egyptians and to break them and to break their, their heretics And to recognize the greatness of the Jewish na- of the Jewish nation, we need to understand, though, the essence of creation. Chazal tell us the entire creation, the entire world being created, beracious, bays. What are the bays? What are the two? Shvi Yisrael, Vishvila Teda. Yisrael and the Teda, which are both referred to as Reishis. Whoops. Didn't probably really know about Hashem. He knew about Hashem but he was in denial that Hashem was continuing to run the world and that Hashem was continuously involved in everything in the world and more so, as we just said before, that God was capable of doing miracles above nature. He was under the impression, as the world is created to become, that the world was created by God and then was left an automatic pilot to its own resources through nature, let, quote as we say in America, let nature take its course. So therefore, everything needs to be tied, ultimately, through the Jewish nation, and through the Torah that the Jewish nation studies and practices. So therefore, it was not sufficient to punish the Egyptians, to destroy them, to break them down to size. But it needed to be Makis Mitzrayim with another purpose entirely. To reveal God to the Jewish nation itself as well. And only when it reaches the Jews and shows them their status... Then comes the great recognition of God, and then comes the compl- the ultimate mission of the Makkas, of the plagues. <coughs> and we find this as well in our Haftarah this week. In the Vuas Yecheskel, <coughs> the prophecy of Ezekiel, 
talking about the destruction that HaKadosh Baruch will bring on the Egyptians brought on the Egyptians and he says and the entire nation will know that I am God but this is not enough but he adds by Yehimahu Atzmiach Kerin Leves Yisrael Olucha'etim Pischem Peh Besechem V'yedu Kerin Yashem In that day as well I gave them I planted a plant with a horn within the Jewish nation and given them what's called a Pischem Peh the mouth to now talk and to know that I am God and us too get this very same lesson the completion of all the punishments that were meted out to the Egyptians was all about us and even more so in those days most Jews believed in the day in the, in the prophet Yechezkel but still in all they desecrated God and there was terrible wars amongst them And therefore it came to a minority that believed and that understood We know the different plagues that took place in Egypt. Prior to the beginning of all the plagues, Moshe and Aaron come before Pharaoh. You'll enjoy this one. And Hashem says to Aaron, throw down your staff. And Aaron throws down his staff, and his staff turns into a snake. And the Chatumay Mitzrayim step forth. Pari calls his magicians. And his magicians do the same. They throw down their staff, and it turns into a snake as well. And then says the Pasuk, and let me quote, Let me find it so that I can quote. Vayechzak, excuse me, Vayshecheu Ishmateu Vayutzaninim, then Vayivla Mate Arenes Mateisam. Aren's staff consumed their staffs. Now, you would imagine the drama that took place here that they both, all, they all threw down the staffs, and they all turned into snakes, and Aaron's live snake would eat the snakes of the Egyptians. That's not what the Pasuk tells us. The Pasuk reads, as I said, I'll repeat again, Vayivla mate Aaron es matoisom. Aaron's staff swallows their staffs. The staff, the staff turned into a snake, scorpion, whatever it was, serpent. It reverted back to a staff, and only then did it consume the other staffs. Vayemer Hashem will continue the pasuk. Vayemer Hashem, El Moshe Kaved Leifari. I have hardened the heart of Pari. I'm sorry, did I get another message? Oof. Phone is wonky. It's not behaving, I can't. Please, be a favor. Stop. Phone is acting up, so if you sent me another text, I'm not reading it. There we go. There it's called Nachash. And here it's referred to. Here it's referred to. Um, Sanin. You're right. It's not the same name. The Nachash is a slimy character that now crawls on the ground. And the Sanin was more of a serpent, was more of a 
much scarier looking character, obviously. So I will continue the scripture. <laughs> the Pasuk. That I made hard the heart, made the Shalachom to send the nation. Lech El Pari Babek, they had left, obviously, and they're going to have to return. He needs a mime minutes after the cross sales fast a year. I want you to go out to the waters and that they always go to on the edge of the river. And then a very interesting addition to the Pasuk. Vehamate and that staff, Ashenefach Lenachosh, that had turned to a snake. He now calls it Nachosh, by the way. Tikach Biyodecha. Take it again in your hand. <laughs> Beautiful picture. It looks like a frog. That's another plague. It's not the right one. Anyway, he tells him to take that staff again. This was his walking stick, wasn't it? Where was the stick? That he's telling him to take the stick once again. Oh, is it crocodile? Thank you. I would blindly say think it through my friends you have a staff it's your normal walking staff and you take it and throw it on the ground and it turns into this horrific, horrifying, mortifying serpent ooh what's really in this staff and then you revert back to a staff and your staff now swallows up other staffs. Needless to say, Aaron said, ha, you stay on the side. I'm not walking around with you. I'm not walking with you anymore. <coughs> to which Hashem tells him, Kachzamate, take that very staff that was just a snake Although before it was a snake, and although it ate other staffs that were snakes, that staff is going with you again. It's got another mission. So, reverting to what happened here, it's very difficult to record when I have other voices in the background. Don't think they care. HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe, if Pari would request to Nuluch and Mephes to give a miracle, to give a wonder, to tell Aaron to send his staff to the ground, come a and so Aaron did, and Pari, the whole story that we just repeated. But we need to understand what exactly took him, took really place, really took place here. First and utmost, we need to understand the concept of the miracle of the staff swallowing the other staffs. Where did this miracle come into place? Because Baruch did not mention this at all. But as we said that these miracles were not there just to shock the Egyptians. And Hasidus explains the general attitude that the Egyptians had, as we spoke before, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could not actually take any kind of have any kind of effect or make any kind of impression on actual things, worldly things. Nature could not be changed, in other words. The course of nature could not be changed. This, therefore, was broken, as we mentioned before, through the Makis. It broke the ideology of the Egyptians.
by the staff miraculously swallowing another staff. Aaron was the epitome of Kedusha, of holiness. And therefore his staff is the epitome of godliness that comes from Kedusha. The Egyptians' serpents, Mitzrayim, Hatanim Agodl Arevitz Betaych Ya'erov, the big Tanim that used to float in their river, as Yechezkel speaks about. Through the staffs that turned into these Tanim, Aaron shows Pare that the whole existence of these Tanim, the whole existence of these serpents, and the existence of Egypt and Egyptians as they may be, are totally the opposite of Kedusha. And therefore, Apari now brings his Mechashvim to show that their staffs can turn into Taninim. And he says that they have also a root. They also have a source where they can rule. Not only Kedusha, not only his purity and spirituality, but even the opposite also has a root. And therefore the Almighty answers this, The staff swallows the other staffs. That all the roots and the sources of the Sitra Akhra Their idol actually was not the serpent. They worshipped the water. They worshipped the Nilus. And they worshipped the Nilus, and therefore anything that's in the Nilus. And therefore it tells us from Makas Dam how everything, Koladoga, Shabayer, Mesa. Not only did the water turn to blood, but everything inside it died as well. Because this was their livelihood. The waters would overflow into Egypt and would thus bring with them the fish, and they would irrigate their fields, etc. And that's, that's how they would live. So this, therefore, showed the entire shlita that the Almighty has over the Egyptians. And we could learn something, how to serve God with this, a message. When we come to another person, we need to approach them with love. <laughs> if you have that uh, image in your eyes, save it for a rainy day. Um, the the Egyptian headgear. <laughs> yeah, straight out of Hollywood. Okay. The message, therefore, I just need a second on a phone call emergency. Aaron represents Ayyav Shalim, Vereidav Shalim, Ayyav Sabriyais, Makarvan Latera. Love of peace, chasing of peace. I'm going to call you back in a few minutes. I'm giving you a share till 10 o'clock.
and bringing them closer to Tera through love and compassion. Sometimes, unfortunately, people fall to a lowly state. They fall into a depression type. And we need to break that evilness with Kayach. If that needs to be done, we need to use the staff of Aaron. Through Avas Yisrael, true Avas Yisrael. Without mixing any kind of evil into it. Now, if you set me a picture now of one of those headgears, <laughs> I'm not opening the attachment. In addition, when we need to, when a person needs to swallow another one, he needs to do this through the mata and not through the sanin. The staff, not through the serpent. And the difference between the two. A staff is dead wood. It is cold. Kerruach. A tanin, a serpent, shows anger. Emotion. We need to take out, we need to eradicate the bad from the others with coldness not with anger not beat it out of them but rather with a dry rod it's a good one I can't open it phone went completely again it's not happening Amazing. Okay, I ended up opening it. Um, I really want to go to Chavdala Tevis and discuss the Al-Terebbe. But the message here is a very, very strong one. We reach out to a fellow Jew... We need to reach out. Words that come from the heart penetrate the heart. Unfortunately, there are times where we reprimand one another, where we send a different type of message to our fellow Jew. And it doesn't have that proper effect simply because it's not coming from the true love of the person's heart. When a person can find place in their heart for a fellow Jew, then the person can reach out. Then the person can help then the person can connect and ultimately together, hand in hand overcome whatever trials and tribulations the other person is going through. The first of the plagues was blood. And then the frogs. Egypt is known as Mitzrayim, which shares the common root of the word Metzar, constraint. And therefore, as we said before, the Makis represent steps that we must take to break out our personal Egypt. 
The first two plagues both involved water. Water is cold by nature. Attitude of coolness, detachment, indifference. The first plague in the waters, in the Nile, who transformed, cold water was transformed to warm blood. Blood gives life. in symbolizing that we must imbue our service of God with warmth and excitement. In contrast, the second plague, the creatures of the water, the frogs, swarmed everything related to Pari and Egypt, particularly their ovens. And this symbolizes breaking through our eternal, internal Egypt. And this requires developing a coolness a disinterest in passions and pleasures. Now, truthfully, under normal circumstances, to rid ourselves of competing loyalties, such as the plague of frogs, which would be the first step to take before attempting to live a life of a devoted God, a Jew devoted to God and godliness, we see, however, the plague of frogs was not first, it was second. The plague of blood preceded it. And the order of these two teaches us that even before we have to succeed at cooling down our material passions, we need to infuse ourselves with the warmth of Torah and Mitzvah, the fervor and enthusiasm for the light and warmth of our passion. Filled mitzvahs assist and dispelling. And dispelling the evil. I wanted to tell a story before about the Vashemtiv. Famous story that I've told many times of the Chassid that was given, they were given different jobs as the Vashemtiv passed. One Chassid was given a task to tell stories of the Vashemtiv, because he spent many time, much time with the Vashemtiv, he given a task to tell stories of the Vashemtiv, and he asked the Vashemtiv, till when? And he said, you would know, and ultimately he goes and he comes to a town, years later, where he's telling stories forever, and he comes and he hears of the town, of a very rich man that wanted to pay, pays money for stories of the Vashemtiv, and he comes, and he spends Shabbos with the man, Thursday, Friday, and he doesn't remember a single story. The whole Shabbos, not a single story comes to mind. The rich man was starting to get skeptical. Maybe he's trying to just get money out of me. Maybe this, maybe that. But he was not giving up. And he kept trying to prod him and to prep, and there was nothing. And finally on Sunday, the Chastel said, I can't anymore. I really can't. I'm embarrassed to take advantage of your hospitality and your, your beautiful kindness and everything. I don't belong here. I don't remember a single story of the Bashans. I don't know how. I've been telling stories for years. And he mounts the carriage, he mounts the carriage to leave. And finally he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I remember one story. And he comes back to the house and he tells him this one story of when they came to a town and the Bashan, the, the priest was supposed to speak. The whole fringes and potatoes and onions for the story. I'm going to give you the meat without potatoes, and the Bashem to sent him, says the Chassid, to go call the priest. And he went to the priest, and he told him, the Bashem wants him, and he said, um, and he says, uh, he says, no, not now, I'll come soon. And he says, and he goes back to Bashan and says, come soon. Bashan says, no, no, he told him to come now, it'll be too late. And he went back and he told him to come right now, it'll be too late. And he just dropped everything and he told him, but I have to go talk to God. And he walked off the stage. <coughs> Thousands of people were standing there. And he went and Bashan spoke to him on the side in the room. And the fellow left. <coughs> and that's all I know. I never saw him again. 
And the rich man was very, very happy, and he told him, let me tell you, my son, I'll tell you the rest of the story. I was that priest. And the Vashem told me, I need to do tshuva. I even had a bar mitzvah. And then I got caught up in the church, and unfortunately, I was trained to become a Galach priest, and even more so, become a Jew-hating priest. And I was very good at it, unfortunately. Too good. And the Hashem told me I have to do tshuva. And I asked, for how long? Well, I know my tshuva is, is accepted. The Hashem told me, when this chassid will come to you and tell you the story, you'll know your tshuva has been completed. And the same we find that Mesha on his mission wanted to know when will I see but with each Makkah he sees this I am left to the very very little amount of time to discuss the Alter Rebbe the story of the passing of the Alter Rebbe I believe we've spoken it before on a previous year and we've told the story of how he arrived in the city of Piena on Erev Shabbos and Mat Shabbos he passed away the last words of the Alter Rebbe, the significance. He was then transported to Hadich. The story of the burial, how it took place. I'd like to discuss, tell only the one small story that we've probably told as well, of the two Jews that arrived in this town of Piena. Very successful businessmen. So successful were they that they became assimilated. They felt that that's the way to live, the easiest way to exist and to coexist in the world, and to actually do business properly, was to assimilate. And they arrived at the inn in this town. When they came to the inn, they told the innkeeper they wanted food. And the innkeeper said, No problem, aren't you Jewish? They said yes. He said, I can get you kosher food. It'll just take another half hour or so. But there's a Jew that cooks around here. I will get from him the food for you. Gladly. They said, no, it's fine. Bring us the best wine, bring us some good meat. And he tells them, okay, wait a minute. He steps out of the room. A few minutes later, he comes back in with his sons, big burly fellows, with guns, with knives. And he says, say your prayers. You don't leave here. Nobody leaves here. Especially not Jews. And he closed the door, and the two of them sat and davened and cried. And on this time that they were left there, they did tshuva, complete tshuva. And when he came back in, he was smiling and joyful again. And he says to them, here's your food. And they said, no, no, we won't eat it, it's only, we'll only eat kosher. They said, this is kosher. They said, what's going on here? And he told them the story of the Altarebbe arriving in his hotel, in his inn, and Al Rebbe blessed him because he had asked for three blessings for longevity, for nachas from his children, and for prosperity. Nachas, Gersh, Nachas. And um, all three were Makuyim. But the Al Rebbe told him, I will send you two, two Jews one day will show up in your inn, and they'll consent to eat non kosher food. See to it that you scare them into tshuva. And that is what I did today, my friends. And therefore, schus of the Al-Tarebbe, and the look, the mabat of the Al-Tarebbe for generations down, to make sure that Jews are always doing what they have to, and therefore the Al-Tarebbe, in writing his Tanya, writing the Shulchan Aruch, and all the other Maimarim, and all the other Chassidus, of Chassidus Chabad, 
which all the Rabbeim emulated and passed on to us, Schusei Yagan Eleinu, and may we take a bizeicher Chavdala Tevis to his chus to go to Yerushalayim Yerakedish the Gula Mitzvah Shlema, and we will see take the redemption the way it should be.